Hey there, welcome back to another episode of MVP Business, where we showcase leaders who live through their mission, vision, and passion to drive growth, profits, and loyalty. I am your host, Steph Silver, owner of Vine Collective, a unique marketing and coaching agency where we meet people where they are on their journey to connect with customers and employees and to navigate their personal journeys to overcome challenges and rise to the next level of their work, home, and spiritual lives. Today's guest is Debbie Silver, a brilliantly funny, beautifully insightful, and boldly authentic speaker, author, and educator. This is the second time Debbie's been on our show. Yes, she is that awesome. You can check out um, her first episode on season one, episode three, to hear about her story. Right now, it's the middle of the summer, and parents and teachers of the world are beginning to think about and fear the beginning of school year. So Debbie and I are going to discuss what we can do to prepare ourselves and our kids to go into this year with joy and excitement and let go of that fear we've been holding on to. Thank you so much for joining me today, Debbie. Oh, it's always my pleasure, Steph. So glad to be here. Thank you so much. So um, for those who haven't heard the previous episode, we're going to go ahead and start with you telling us a little bit about yourself so that they know um, how awesome you are, because I know. (laughs) Uh, I know already, but um, you had an awesome career. You have a lot of insight. You've published several books. Um, You're on the road speaking to educators and administrators all over the world. Um, Tell us a little bit about why I think your insight is so important. Well, I appreciate that. And I did start out um, teaching lower elementary and have taught every grade all the way up through postgraduate at the university level. So um, as a classroom teacher for 21 years, from there I moved to uh, the university, Louisiana Tech, where I had the privilege of teaching pre-service students. So these were people who identified as folks who wanted to get in this profession with the rest of us and make a huge difference. And that was a super joy. So I was at Louisiana Tech for uh, six years. So then from there, I transitioned into being um, a professor and had the privilege of working with um, pre-service teachers. So helping them on their journey to, you know, pick up the reins and become the amazing educators they have become. And then um, after I had, that was 30 years in education, then I started writing books, uh, just basically outlining things that I had learned along the way, which are several uh, from my students and from my biological um, and uh, stepchildren, uh, which were five boys who taught me many, many lessons about differentiated learning, about uh, ways that kids um, assimilate and accommodate uh, new information in very different ways. And um, it's just been such an awesome experience talking to people all over the world from uh, different cultures, different backgrounds, um, different abilities, different takes on the world, and just trying to put all that together to help everybody, you know, both parents and teachers. And let's just say anybody who's an advocate for kids, you know, what is the best way that we can do that for kids? So that's kind of, that's my passion. That's my mission. Um, I want to help parents and teachers and um, and also ultimately our students. 
That's fantastic. And I honor your dedication to, to education. So you have taught at all levels of education and then spoken to and trained teachers of all of those levels as well. Right. You have a passion for middle school, right? Because you taught there for a while and it's such a transitionary (laughs) time and it's, it's a very difficult time for teachers, for parents and for the students, but you find it's really um, like exciting and exhilarating to be right there in the middle of all of that change. That is absolutely my favorite. Um, I I often say that, you know, that's our last best chance at at the middle level of really cementing a lot of those uh, values that we want kids to take into adulthood, to uh, really put them on the path of life skills that they will hold for the rest of their lives. And I think really that if we're not there by middle level, then they're kind of behind the eight ball the rest of their lives. So to me, it's such an incredibly important time for kids. And I, they're so funny. You mm-hmm. know, they're growing, they're experiencing, you know, it's I love you. I hate you. I love you. I hate you. Uh, <laughs> which I know is confusing to parents and um, to a lot of people. But when you understand it, when you figure out what's going on, you know, in their moods and the little hormones are flowing, uh, but they're beginning to question. And what I really love about middle school is they have such an inordinate amount of fairness, everything they want to be fair. They want, um, they're a little bit duplicitous in that one minute, you know, they're knocking somebody's books out of their, their arms and running down the hall laughing at them. And the next minute they're cleaning out their pockets and donating money, you know, for world hunger. Uh, They just, they're, they're all over the place. But the bottom line is, um, I think you can still reach them. I think uh, they still uh, can be molded. And I'm not saying we can't do that all the way up through, you know, late 20s, because we know about the plasticity of the brain and that we can do that. But yeah, you asked me why I like middle and that's it. They're so creative. They're so funny. Um, and they have great ideas, you know, because they're they're new to this world. And so many of the things that have shaped the grown-ups here, so many of our preconceived ideas, they've never even heard of the things that we talk about. And I notice, you know, when I'm working with them, I have to watch, you know, my analogies because they're like, if I say leave it to beaver, they're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Or if I say, I I dialed the phone and they're like, what? And it's just, they don't, that's just a new world to them. And so seeing it through their eyes really keeps me young, but it also, I think, helps me with my perspective about the world has moved on and changed. And if I'm going to help them be ready for it, then I have to understand their their world is not the same as it was when I was a kid or even Stephanie, when you were a kid, you know, it's, it's evolved. Yes. And we're definitely going to get into some of that because it is a, a constant evolving challenge. Some of the things are going to be the same because we're human and our human experience is, is pretty consistent. Um, but there's a lot that we're learning as adults, as far as how we can retrain our brain, how we can overcome childhood traumas, how we can, um, you know, talk ourselves in and out of uh, the emotions, how we need to recognize and own our emotions when we're in them in order to accept and, and move forward. And a lot of those lessons can be taught at the early adulthood level at all those ages of elementary, middle school, and even into high school and some college. 
but that's when a lot of those skills can really be plasticized. Is that the the right? Yeah, can be um, honed. Uh, I would use the, you know, can be uh, facilitated and honed and yeah, practice. And we start that now, you know, very, very young. And I will just say this to the parents that are listening. Um, what we're hearing from educators right now is not so much of uh, the leaps and bounds, you know, of, oh, we're behind in math or we're behind in reading. And, you know, my question to that is, who are we behind? Mm. You know, we're all in the same storm. Now, we're not all in the same boat, but we've all been in the same storm. So if you're looking at what has gone before, then I think you're given an unrealistic expectation. So I'm not really worried about academically kids catching up because they just do. If we present it in a way that is engaging and that is a purposeful for them. I mean, I'm not worried about that, but here's what I am worried about. And this is what teachers are telling me daily is that what we lost during COVID were the social skills. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because when with our parents, you know, when we're in our homes, we come a lot of times we're a little bit more like a daisical about the way that we conduct ourselves or the way that we talk to people, the way that we tolerate other people. And so uh, I don't think we had understood before how important school is to that development, because I know parents were doing that, but they also got to school and they had an adult advocate there, several adult advocates that were also doing the modeling, doing the correcting, doing the, you know, the, the nudging. And then the students did that for each other. But what teachers are telling me right now is kids have lost that. And so uh, they've gotten very sassy, uh, which, you know, adults perceive as disrespectful. And I have to be honest, I see it that way too, because, you know, I'm an older generation. And um, I think we need to go back and work on that at home and with kids. So what I'm hearing now is because we call it social emotional learning. And there's been some pushback on that because parents have misunderstood and they want to lump that in with critical race theory and, you know, uh, the trans movement. And they want to lump all that together. And that is not what that is. And I really hope that parents will do their homework on that and understand because we have uh, medical doctors, we have neurosurgeons, we have physicists, we have um, psychologists, sociologists who are all saying with the new information that we have about the plasticity of the brain and how much control we have over the brain, it is absolutely imperative that we teach kids these lifelong skills. For instance, self-regulation. Now, there's nobody listening to this podcast that isn't saying, um, you know, I wish my kid had more self-discipline or I wish they didn't get out of control. You know, I wish they could organize a little better. All right, all of those are part of the social emotional uh, spectrum. And those happen through constant modeling constant repetition. And so one of the things that parents may be familiar with is a lot of teachers are now using, they're taking the classic when we used to, kids would get all bent out of shape. You go, wait, wait, just take a breath, just take a breath. Okay, well, we've taken that now into not just take a breath, but let's purposefully breathe deeply. And the reason that we're doing that is a physiological reason. We're trying to pump some oxygen into that prefrontal cortex, you know, the thinking part of your brain. We're also teaching kids that you have no control over what your primal brain is telling you. You know, I'm hungry. I have to go to the bathroom. I'm scared. I'm mad. Um, those are emotions that just happen within individuals and they serve their purpose, you know, survival over the years. But we don't, kids don't necessarily have control over that. Neither do adults, actually. But what we do have control over is that separation from the reaction. Uh, 
in the stimulus. In other words, what we need to take control over is when something uh, upsets us or something um, makes us angry or something makes us, you know, want to do a response. If we can take just a moment there and just breathe, just breathe for a moment, get some oxygen going and separate our response from the stimulus because the stimulus knee jerk reaction is going to probably be inappropriate. Um, parents see this all the time. The kid gets mad, you know, slams the door. Okay, inappropriate. It's it's okay to feel anger because we are human and we do. But what we, what we teach them is take that and figure out which part you can control. So I'm going to breathe deeply. I'm going to move this out of my limbic system, which is the emotional center of the brain. And you have really very little control over that, if any. But I'm going to get it to the point that says, okay, I am mad, but I have choices about how I'm going to deal with that. That's where SEL starts. And then it also moves kids forward into, you know, how can I better organize myself? How can I make better choices? The simple thing that we've been talking about since COVID began, and many of us way before that, is teaching people to focus on those things that they can directly control. So when we're tilting at windmills, you know, oh, global warming, um, Uvalde, we're talking about the Ukraine, um, these disasters, these horrific events, then, and we have no control over that. So that's feeding a sense of helplessness. And with kids, uh, they feel pretty helpless much of the time because they are kids and so much of their world is controlled by, uh, you know, others. And I think we need for them to learn, all right, these are the things you can control, starting with your choices or the effort that you make. And I think we need to be much more direct about that. And that has to do with, you know, academics, that has to do with uh, social emotional intelligence, but it has to do with, okay, let's break this down. You know, I can't change COVID. Um, COVID's here. That's not anything, Steph, you can control, I can control. But what we can control is how we react to it. So if you're in a family where all you're doing is worrying about what everybody else is doing. Uh, you know, I can't believe our neighbors are out, you know, having a party or they're not wearing their mask or they're not being socially conscious. You know, if we're constantly looking at what everybody else is doing, that that leaves us in a very helpless position because we don't have control over them. So it, I think it's important to kids to, to verbalize that and go, yes, we don't like, uh, we don't agree with the choices the Smith family's making. Um, we think that's wrong for us, uh, but we can't control the Smiths. So we're going to let them, you know, live their lives. We don't have to partake in it. We don't have to approve of it, but here's what we can do. And that is change the things we do. We stay the, the places we donate. But I really want parents to contribute in just good manners. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've lost good manners. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're going to live in a civil world, that's that we need to bring that back. I agree completely, Debbie. Thank you for getting into that um, because SEL is such a, a political uh, hot button term right now because it has gotten. Um, lumped into a lot of a lot of bigger things. But we right now, we all need to step back and really recognize that teachers are superheroes, and that they are building our society across the globe. And they are the ones that we rely on, partially for childcare, you know, we didn't think about how much um, they take care of our children on a daily basis. Um, and not just, you know, busying them, but it's not just book work. 
that they're teaching right. our children every day. It's how to communicate with each other. And it's, you know, we want them to have simple, simple manners of please and thank you, but the ability to have a conversation and to understand their own emotions, that's part of what teachers are, have been handed as well. And not just because some parents aren't doing that, maybe they don't know how, or the bigger thing is when kids get into, when people get into larger groups, they behave differently. Yes. And so the, the crowd control of yes. being a teacher and administrator requires different rules and it requires different thinking. And in schools, especially public schools, it's more diverse than in your home. Absolutely. The challenges are different than in your own home. And the larger the school uh, or, you know, in the city, it's even more diverse. There's different challenges, like you're saying, and uh, it's it's a requirement and it's a benefit to society to give the teachers the ability and the tools to be able to help those students, help their students and our children, all of our children, whether you have right. children or not, they're all of our children. They are our, our next generation. One of them will be a president at one one day, right? President of, of multiple companies and leaders, and our doctors, and running our nursing homes. <laughs> exactly, we want those to be in responsible hands. So, you know, piggybacking on what you said, um, part of SEL is teaching kids self awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want them to be their own best advocates. We have kids that are neuro, n- neuro atypical, and we want them to be able to say to people, look, I, you know, I, that doesn't work for me. Um, here's what I need to, you know, this would be like somebody who's dyslexic or has um, Asperger's, but to get, to empower kids to speak for themselves, we, we want that. But the other part is the, the social part, which is uh, empathy. And Mm -hmm. I think we've lost empathy um, with our politically divisive world, which is getting worse in my, I mean, everybody wants to draw things black and white down the middle. And I'm like, guys, we really need to say, let me hear your story. We can have different opinions and not be bad people. Uh, And what I'm hearing a lot of now is you don't agree with me. So you're a horrible person. Mm -hmm. You know, we use these strong words and this strong language and, um, it's very inflammatory and it puts people immediately on the defensive and we've stopped talking to each other. And I'm talking about the grownups now, you know, the grownups are just ridiculous to me, the way we talk to each other and about each other. And I think it's important at the school level because we're with these kids in a classroom, you know, all day long. And there are certain things that we have to say to kids that is not appropriate. You know, Mm -hmm. in this room with this group, that's not appropriate. And I'm not about making value judgments because I learned a long time ago when I taught in a culture that was very different from the culture in which I was reared. You know, my kids taught me that they were that's when my name was Miss Pace. And they go, Miss Pace, that's not right. That's not how we look at it. And once I really listened to them, I'm like, oh, okay, I see where you're coming from. Um, tell me why you think that. And I go, well, then I'll tell you why I think what I do. So it's not about judging or who's right or who's wrong. But I think as parents and as adults, we have an obligation to look at a kid and go, that is not appropriate. And I have no problem saying that. And Steph, you've been with me before in public. I will say that um, to people. And it's not, I'm not trying to be confrontational. What I'm saying is, you know, you, you can feel however you want to feel. And, but the way you're addressing that clerk 
or the way that you're behaving in this restaurant um, is is stepping on the rights of everybody else. So it's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to say that to our kids, you know, when they go, well, you said a cuss word. You know, well, uh, I had to deal with my children. I'd say, OK, that word you can say when you're 16. That's a 16 year old word. But until you're 16, you can't say that word, you know, and then some words were not till you're 21. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some words I'd really still like to change, but they're all grown now. So I don't get a voice in that. But I think it's listening to your kids and saying, um, all right, tell me what you're feeling, you know, and of course, in SEL, we really try to help them identify what that feeling is, because it, for a lot of girls, um, they get their feelings confused and it comes out as eating disorders because they're so suppressing, you know, their actual feelings that it gets, it gets masked by I'm hungry and it's really not hunger at all. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a hunger, but it's not for food. You know, it's for mm-hmm. security or it's for acceptance or it's for affirmation. And um, we all need to get better at that, you know, to speak our truths, but quietly and appropriately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's my big word now, you know, um, I used the word civil while ago, uh, and I guess people would differ on what they think is civil. But, um, I, you know, I hear parents talk to their kids sometimes in, in tones that I'm like, I, I would want to say to that parent, that's not appropriate. You know, you just embarrassed your child in public. And I think it was more about your pride than what your child was doing. And, if you really want to change the behavior, okay, here's the bottom line. This is my thing. And my husband, he laughs all the time because he'll go, I know what you're going to say. But I always ask this question, what is your goal here? You know, a parent's yelling at their child, you know, in, in a crowd. And I want them to really think, what is my goal? Because normally I think it's, I'm embarrassed and I don't want everybody to think I'm a terrible parent. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to yell. So you'll think I'm doing my job. And hopefully that's not your goal. Um, I think most of us, our goal when we're working with kids is to teach them to learn to be caring, um, informed adults uh, eventually. And But we want them also to learn uh, to feel cared about and to feel loved and accepted. And so there's that fine line, but it is absolutely, you have to walk it every day. You know, I've got your back. I'm always going to be here. You know, there's there's nothing you can do that's going to separate me, my love for you. But these things are not appropriate. And these are, and we can have, you know, non-negotiables with kids saying, all right, you know, hitting your brother is a, is a non-negotiable. I, I think that's fine. And, you know, in this home, in this family, these are non-negotiables. We don't call people names. You know, we don't throw a fit. We don't break things. We don't, whatever it is that you want for your family. And the same is true with teachers. You know, the thing we want to do with teachers, for teachers to be able to say, in this room, you know, this is how we talk to each other. This is how we deal with conflict. This is how we let people know uh, that we need help. Um, this is how you can let me know that maybe that I've in some way, you know, stepped on your comfort level or in some way, um, everybody loves to use the word triggers now, which I think is way overused. Kids are picking up on that now. And if you just look at them wrong, it's like, you triggered me. And I'm like, oh God, please, let's, you know, let's deal in this real world. But whatever words that you use, I think it's appropriate for kids to say, that hurts my feelings when, 
Mm-hmm. That makes me feel scared when, you know, it's like, our, I don't know if your mom ever said this, but my mother used to say, yeah, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Yes. And I hated that because yes. I thought if I didn't feel upset, I would not be crying now. And I, I, I've never said that to my children ever mm-hmm. or, or a student because I feel like if there are tears, there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I think, you know, yeah, I, I teach middle school girls. Yes. Are they overdramatic? Yes. But I'm not going to, you know, accuse them of that. How does that help? It's just like saying, um, don't be mad to somebody that that's stupid, you know, or uh, calm down. How, has that ever helped anybody when somebody says calm down? No. But what we can do, and I, t- I ask kids sometimes, um, we teach that in the brain, you know, the hot part of your brain are those parts you don't control, your limbic system and, um, your brainstem that, you know, the basic things that your brain takes care of with, without any kind of conscious effort. Well, we call those the hot parts of your brain. And so when a kid's just really, you know, flying off the handle, upset, you know, you know what else? And then they did this and then they did that. And I'll say, okay, am I talking to the hot part of your brain or am I talking to the cool part of your brain? And the cool being, you know, the reasoning, the prefrontal cortex, the, you know, okay, I'm, I'm making decisions now. And a lot of times they're going, you're talking to the hot part. Okay, <laughs> I don't think I am. <laughs> so let's get you to the cool part and then we'll have a conversation. And I don't, I don't mean this to sound simplistic. It is not simple. It's not easy, but it is something that if all of us, parents, teachers, all of the advocates could, you know, stick together on that model for kids, they would get the message. And what I see a lot of times is when, once kids have internalized that process, they'll do it with their friends. They'll go, okay, let's get you to the cool part. <laughs> so we yeah. can talk this out. And, and obviously it's, it's a good tool for everybody. Absolutely. There's more power in modeling than there is in uh, pushing. You oh, mentioned always. earlier um, words, bad words. And one of the ways that I like to go about it with my kids, they don't swear and they don't swear in public. But what I tell them is that swear words are the oddest thing I've ever heard of. It's the, it's a weird, weird thing that there are some words that are bad and some that aren't, but the thing to really be aware of is that absolutely every word can be offensive to someone. So you have to just pay attention and that's part of social emotional learning too. Like you mentioned empathy, you, you never know what term somebody uses to put their children down at home or what Mm -hmm. their brother or sister uses against them, or, you know, what is bad in their culture. Um, And watching and seeing like, oh, the way that I used that word, you know, if you call somebody a dork, (laughs) that can be super fun and funny, or Uh it could be terrible, and they go home and cry to their parents. But you have to watch the the reaction and then go, oh, no, 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 I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that, you know, whatever it might be, because you're watching human behavior and and willing to watch and listen and, and communicate about it. So as we're going into this new school year, and a lot has changed in the last three years, teachers Mm -hmm. have always been superheroes, they've always been the the ones who who rear our society now you know we happen to be in this wonderful country called America where uh, education is free up to a certain point and and it's required but the vast majority of children are in schools uh, most of the year and we have a lot of privilege in that in this country but it's also a lot of pressure on those teachers and administrators it's a different world like you said 
everybody thinks about and handles COVID differently, especially as it's evolved over the last three years, but there's emotions around that. There's emotions around the topics we can discuss. Kids are going, especially in middle school, going into school at all different levels of um, sexual activity, sexual knowledge, body consciousness. And it's, you know, the, the teachers are the ones who spend the vast majority of time with our kids. So um, how do we as parents prepare ourselves and our kids going into the school year? And how can we prepare and empower our teachers to be the heroes that they are? I think as a parent, one of the things you would want to do is whether you do it on paper or I mean, I think a visual would be great. You know, you can do it on computer graphic, but I think you need to talk with your your kids um, about what are you what are you concerned about the school year and I know that you know school shootings is going to come up okay well if you'll pull out the statistics on that I mean they are horrific and they get lots and lots and lots of airtime but the chances I mean they have the kids have a better chance of getting killed in a car wreck being driven to school than a shoot an active shooter coming in I'm not saying it we know it happens but uh if we could just get a, a more realistic view of that the, that possibility is what I'm saying. I think it's gotten overblown. Um, and so I would, but I, what I would do is list for the kids everything that has them upset. Okay. And then uh, there's some we can't address, like with statistics, we can address the thing about school shooting. But other ones, I think it would be really helpful to go back to what I said earlier to say, all right, let's put... Um, um, an NC, a not controllable by things that you're not going to be able to control. Okay. And so um, let's, let's then talk about how can you minimize that impact of that particular fear on your life? What could we do? What could you do to minimize your dread, your fear, your um, angst on that particular topic? Because that's the only thing you're going to be able to do. And and then really focused on, bring it down to what are the things that you can actually c- control this school year? What can you do to, to help yourself, to help your feelings, um, to, to reach your goal? And then and as a parent, others. What, and to help others, if, if that's, you know, if they, if they say that, which hopefully they will. Um, but then also as a parent, what can I do? And I think sometimes what kids want from us is so simple. It's just like, just listen to me. You know, when I come home and tell you that a teacher uh, was, you know, unfair, I, I need you to, I want you to hear me and not just assume I did something wrong. So then um, on the other side of the story, you're saying, what can um, parents do to support teachers? And I would say, assume the best motives until you're, until you're proven wrong, assume that they have. And I think parents used to do that. I think that was the norm in the United States. It wasn't, you know, across the board, but I think the norm was to assume the teacher had good intentions. I'm going to say that right now, I think it's the opposite of that. And I think um, the media has a lot to do with that because they have really played up, you know, the isolated incidences of the teachers that uh, totally take advantage of the system and shouldn't be here and need not ever cross the threshold of a school. Again, they are there. I know it. Other teachers know it. Parents know it. And we're going to continue to work on that. But I really think that 
parents have gotten a very skewed view of the us and them. Mm-hmm. And they're lumping teachers because we do, we are part of the government. I mean, we're paid, you know, from the state, we're paid through taxes. So a, a lot of times uh, teachers are viewed as them. So it's an us versus them thing. And anything that the parent can do, you know, to to go talk to the teacher, to model for the kids, to say, all right, you know, Johnny, come, let's just go up and talk to your teacher. Let's just sit down with him and have this conversation because we all should be on the same side. And I think we are, but maybe we're not. So let's go talk. But to assume that teachers have the best intent, because I'm in schools every day and I can tell you that teachers that, that don't, they are few, few and far between. And yes, we all need to do something about that. But please give, you know, your administrators and your, your God, our principals have just an uh, uh, unrealistically hard job in front of them trying to balance, you know, safety and uh, OSHA rules and COVID rules and, you know, teacher burnout and uh, job shortages. You know, we don't have enough teachers right now. And they're trying to balance all of that with uh, angry parents who are saying, you're trying to indoctrinate my child. You're trying to, you know, um, do my job. Uh, If you would start by giving the school and your teachers the benefit of the doubt. And when you have um, something that you question, go to the source. Don't go to your local news feed. Don't go on your, you know, your neighborhood uh, Facebook page. Um, that is so disrespectful and it's childish. I mean, what are your friends going to do about it except just uh, create more habit? So be an adult about it. Go up, make an appointment and say, look, this appears to be really out of order. So help me understand what you're doing. Or I think why that's you the key, that Debbie. Decision. I think assuming that the, I mean, teachers go into the profession to, to do the right thing. Now, you know, sometimes they get jaded or they have their own agendas, but the vast majority of the time they want to raise good citizens. So if there's something that feels not right, and this is, this is true for all things, but you know, this is a, an episode about educators. If you, if you are upset about something, seek to understand I think Thank it's the you, key. Stephen Covey. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm currently in the process of rewriting a book of deliberate optimism, reclaiming the joy in education. And I just finished a chapter about before you act or react, um, gather as much information as possible from as many sources as possible. Because you're, if you're going to um, the little neighborhood click, um, they are going to be like-minded and they're going to reinforce what each other said, even if it's gossip, even if it's fake news, that's what we do. I mean, it's, it's human nature, but, you know, seek other sources of information, people that you trust. Maybe there's another educator at school that you trust. And you might say, I'm not trying to put you in the middle, uh, but tell me if I'm off here. Tell me if I need to go and talk and then follow the chain of command. You know, you don't call the superintendent because a teacher did something. You called their immediately immediate supervisor, which would be the assistant principal or uh, the principal, depending on how big your school is. But you go through the chain of command. And if you are not satisfied with what happens, then you move to the next chain of command. But we have people who will call the president of the school board 
who has no uh, influence over day-to-day decisions or should not have, they are simply there to hire and fire and guide the central office and um, but not make policy. That is not their, that's not in their purview. Um, they approve the policy, but it's coming from, you know, the people they hired to do the job. So uh, just, you know, go through your chain of command, go when you're calm, <laughs> breathe, <laughs> breathe, take a breath, you know, write it down and then go up and calmly and lovely state state your truth um, and then listen and you may hear some things you don't want to hear because kids have a way of you know pitting adults against adults and every two-parent home knows this mm-hmm. you know, well mom said well dad said well other dad said or other mom they they do that um, but what we need to do is as an, as an adult we have a common goal and that is to do the best that we can for your child we may not agree on the best way to do that But what we can agree on is we want what's best for your child. And I'm going to go back to my original premise. What is our goal? So are we looking at a short-term punitive? I'm going to get this kid back. And that can be the parent or another adult. Or is this, I really need to be up this to be a beginning of a lesson or a lesson in itself to set this kid on um, a better path of choices for their adult life. And when you ask yourself that, it will change. It will change how you handle it. And my husband's now a college professor who had you know no education courses because he teaches business and that's what they were looking for. Do you publish and do you know about business? So he will come to me when he has a student. And that's what I was saying earlier. Um, he'll go, I just got this crazy email from this student. And then he'll look and he'll go, I know, what is my goal? What is my goal? <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, you're mad. Do you want to get even or make a point? Or do you want them to learn from this? Or, But truly, what is your goal? Uh, because that's going to affect how you react to it. But you got to be in that cool part of your brain so you can actually make that decision. Exactly. So everything that we are you know, trying to teach our kids, we have to remind ourselves of on a regular basis. The first thing is always assume that the intentions are good yeah. um, with, with teachers, administrators, parents, business, kids, always assume that the original intention is good. Then mm-hmm. seek to understand why, why did you say that? Where did it come from? Mm-hmm. Where do you think the other person was coming from? Ask questions before you react. Right. And, and this is right. all um, assuming that there, you know, there is a, a problem that comes up, but if we approach every situation with assuming the other person has good intentions, then even if there's a disagreement or a fear, you can overcome that fear. You can overcome that disagreement. If you first assume that the other person is coming from love or you come to the situation with love. Absolutely. And I love that because, you know, in writing about optimism in, in this book, you know, I'm having to really focus on what is it? What does it look like? And I think an optimistic person really does assume the best intentions. And, you know, we're not naive. We're not blindly optimistic. We're not Pollyanna, but we it's called a realistic optimism. Now you can prove me wrong. You know, I can say, you know what? You don't have the best intentions. Mm-hmm. I wanted to give you that, that benefit of the doubt, but you have demonstrated to me, you do not have the best intentions, but you're going to have to demonstrate that. I'm not going to assume that. And I think right now in our politically divided society, that's what we're doing. We're attributing motive to other people, which is always unfortunate. We're making assumptions that, 
really are way out of whack. Your original question, you know, school starting, what do we do? I would start with a question. Um, I don't know, you know, how the different parents talk to their children, but in whatever way is comfortable for you, but, and it might be your children as a group or maybe one-on-one, but let's talk about schools coming up. You know, tell me some things that, that have you concerned, you know, tell me some things that, you know, are new concerns or that are ongoing concerns and make a list of it. And then, then say to them, all right, which of those things are you able to control? And all right, if you can't control it, then, then what would be your best advice to yourself about it? What would you recommend to yourself. And then, you know, lead them gently through the process of let me figure out what I can control and let me be responsible for that. But also that piece of look, I've got your back, you know, mm-hmm. and you may not be right. Um, and that's okay. We'll work that out. But just know this, there's nothing you can do, say, feel that's going to separate my love from you. I am your I am your parent or I'm your caregiver. And I I care, but tell me some things I could do that would help improve because just knowing you've got that adult on your side, you know, it's, it, that's a big deal. And every kid doesn't feel that. And I know a lot of parents go, well, I know my kid knows I'm on their side. Do they? I mean, do they really? Do they really know that? And some 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 parents are, are more involved and better in that, at that than others. So the other thing that um, you recently wrote an article that was published uh, that was directed mostly towards teachers and administrators. Um, and reading it, I thought that this this goes in all directions for all people. And that's um, start with building relationships. So, you know, talk about the fears and then what are you excited about? What are you getting excited about? And how can we start building those relationships now? Can we go to the back to school day and meet your teacher, get to see your classroom so that so that fear isn't there anymore? We can take right. away the unknown, which is the biggest fear. We all right. fear the unknown. And so you had mentioned to to the in this article to for teachers to first build those relate their own relationship with the teachers instead of just relying on the, the disciplinary history that they get in their reports. Right. But I think that parents can do the same and students can do the same, you know, try to get to know whether it's in your neighborhood or going to the library or what, you know, set up a play date with a new student. If you can do that to get to know some of the people that are going to be in the classroom and then um, for parents to make a point to build a relationship with the teachers and not just their primary teacher, but you know, the, the specials teachers, the uh, the PE teacher, the art teacher, all those people. So that if something comes up, you can say, you know, Hey, Miss Silver, Liam said this thing, you know, how, is that true? Or you can, you can ask, you know, other parents if they heard similar things and build those relationships so that you can go in with trust and openness uh, to someone you already know, as opposed to going in again, if there's a, a confrontation, if you don't know that person, there's even more fear, which is more emotion built up in going into the conversation. Absolutely. And, you know, I have to work with teachers all the time about angry parents because they're angry when they get there. And that absolutely does no good. And I know there are parents that say, well, you know, I took them to task and they won't mess with my kid anymore. But I can tell you that you cannot help your child, you know, by alienating the other adults who are with them all day long. That is, what is your goal? Do you want to alienate them or do you want to reach an understanding? You have every right to say, um, this is not something we embrace as a family. 
I would prefer that you not do this. Uh, you have every right to say that. Um, and that teacher has every right to say, and probably will say, this is not something that this is something I feel strongly about. And I will continue to do, but I will make allowances for your feelings, your child, your, I'm going to be uh, compassionate, you know, in that way. Um, a lot of times kids don't want the parents and the teachers to be friendly mm-hmm. uh, because it doesn't serve their purposes that well. And I think the end run is that we go around that. Even if you already have some trepidation, don't, don't let your child know that, you know, don't mm-hmm. go, oh, they're, you know, well, your brother had her and that's what she always does. And now she's doing it again. It's a good model to say, well, that certainly sounds unfortunate. Um, we're going to need to get some more information about that. So let me make an appointment. And you'd be surprised how many times the kid then starts going, well, okay, that's not exactly what she said. I mean, mm-hmm. she kind of, well, it wasn't even in my class, but I heard it happened. In, you know, and then you're like, all right, okay, that's, I see how that goes. But yeah, I'm really big into that. And what you were saying early, Steph, is what I recommended that teachers not read kids, um, rep- the reports, their cumulative folders, uh, what everybody else thinks about them. Uh, that you make your own decisions about kids because they do develop and they do change. And I would recommend that to my own children going into to school, because if they're in a, you know, a smaller school, especially they already know a lot of the kids. They already have a lot of opinions about the kids. And I would just really recommend that we start with a new slate. It's a new school year. And I always say this to teachers, you know, I think kids come on the first day with this attitude. They don't say it, but they feel it. Maybe this year, maybe this year I'll be smart. Maybe this year I'll be popular. Maybe this year I'll have friends. Maybe this year. And knowing that, you know, it just opens me up to want to be that person for that, for each of those students. Um, that's why I don't read their past grades, their past, what other teachers have said, their disciplinary records, whatever. I'm just really trying to get to know who they are, uh, to let them know I'm interested in them. Um, I watch their eyes, you know, light up. I try to figure out uh, things about them that are important and focus on that because when people say, well, Deb, you know, how do you get kids to like and respect you? And my answer is always you like and respect them first. Mm -hmm. And I think that's huge. And it's the same for children when, you know, how do I get people to, to like me? Well, you have to like them first and um, you have to be respectful first. And then hopefully, you know, it will be returned. If it's not, then you figure out a way to, to deal with that in a calm way. <laughs> Another book that you've recently written and, um, and republished is fall down seven times, stand up eight. And I'm, I'm bringing that up right now because you had mentioned, um, you know, parent teacher confrontations. Uh, and it popped in my head that sometimes parents get too upset when there's disciplinary action against their, or, or for their kids, uh, or they um, they don't necessarily communicate in the most proactive way when something happens, um, and that doesn't build our children up. It actually tears them down when we um, when we say it's okay to stay down <laughs> for too right. long. It's 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 yeah. fine to be hurt. It's fine to be angry. It's um, it's understandable. But if we go to arms too quickly, 
and blame the teacher or blame the principal or blame the other student, then again, what is your goal? Is your goal mm-hmm. to build a strong, independent human being or someone who doesn't understand and doesn't know how to how to be empathetic, how to stand back up, how to get back on the bike, how right. to communicate for themselves what, and what have the a issue is. Responsibility for their actions because the classic is why did you punish my child and not Okay, well, just assume that that there's more than you know. It's just Mm -hmm. like as a teacher, I always knew my principal knew things I couldn't know and could not share with me legally, morally, could not share because I'm looking at maybe what some other teachers are getting away with. You know, and I'm thinking, why are you not doing something? But I can't know everything. And if I respect that person, then I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, and if it really is upsetting, I'll go have a conversation, understanding that maybe I can't be told everything. Kids that have IEPs, kids that are on uh, 501 plans, they uh, their teachers cannot disclose that to another parent. And I was very quick when parents would come up and throw out other kids' names or other kids' situations. I would say, um, I would be more than happy to talk with you about your child and just keep coming back to that because I'm not going to discuss that. But what that tells the kid is, um, my mom will come up there. You know, I can get my dad pumped up and he'll, he'll take care of you. Remember the old, my dad can be the pure dad thing. And what we don't want, and that's what um, the fall down seven times get up eight is all about raising and uh, teaching self-motivated kids who who learn to take responsibility for their actions, um, to suffer the consequences of their choices, and to get back up. And many times, you know, I've had parents come to me and say, you're asking too much of my child. And I'm, I'm like, but they're doing it. <laughs> but you're asking too much. I'm like, how can it be too much? They're doing it. So parents that want to fight their kids' battles, maybe I see their child in a different way. I may see a strength they're not even seeing, particularly with um, special needs kids. The parents are saying, you know, they can't do this. I'm going, well, they are. You know, well, no, they can't. I'm like, but they are. And don't you want them to do everything that they can do? So it's the same, the battle with with students. And I know, you know, I'm a parent. I'm a grandparent. I know I want to go in and solve things for my kids. And I probably still do too much, even though, you know, I write not to. Sometimes it's just better, you know, that they get the skin knees um, now and that they do the face plant now, but learn how to brush that off and stand up and go back in to fight another fight. And so um, that really gets into a lot about, feedback that we give kids. And that whole book is about the appropriate way to give feedback, which is always talking about things that can control just, you know, attack, just a a little teaser here is, it is not a good thing to praise or criticize kids over things they can't control. So when we tell kids, you're so smart, you're so pretty, you're so gifted, you're so talented, um, we're actually affirming something that was innate and that they cannot control. So they can end up becoming entitled or they learn to feel helpless, especially if it's a sibling and they hear you praising this other kid for things that they can't control. They just feel helpless about it. So the thing is, it's all about the feedback. It's how do you give kids information about their choices, about their efforts, about 
um, their accomplishments. And that's a, that's a whole nother plane to talk about, but it fits mm-hmm. right in with this. Um, but we adults need to be on the same page with that. And yes, we do need to push kids. I think one problem that we have in our world today is we're not pushing kids hard enough. And I don't mean in a, a competitive way. I'm not talking about soccer mom, you know, over um, scheduled kids. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about letting kids fight their own battles letting kids try things. You know, we've got parents who just want to bubble wrap them mm-hmm. and um, intervene constantly, you know, play dates, all of that, where the parents sit there and watch them play. I mean, please, I'm just, God, <laughs> let them get dirty. Let them play. Let them go in the woods. You know, they, they need those things. Absolutely. And that is how they learn their independence and they, they learn how to communicate with others. Um, One of the things I remember the first time I was at daycare and I saw two kids fighting over a toy and I told the the daycare worker, Hey, those, those kids are fighting over there. And she's like, I know this is part of what they have to do. They have to figure out what to do with it. Now they wouldn't let it get out of hand. They wouldn't let them push and push and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but it was that beginning of social emotional learning of, you know, in this world, this stuff happens. And if somebody intervenes every time, then you don't know how to deal with it. When you're an adult, you don't know how to, um, you know, stand, stand up for yourself in a, a meaningful and productive way. Or, you know, when you don't get that first job or you think that you're going to go in as a manager and you get hired as an intern, <laughs> you right, don't know how right, to deal with it. Right. Well, um, and, it, you know, it gets into the bullying thing. Um, and, you know, I, I see that on our neighborhood Facebook page, you know, everybody wants to talk about the bullying and I'm like, are you talking to your own child? Right. You know, because one of the things that we can do uh, that we have to do as parents is to empower our children. And one of the ways you empower them is to get, to help their self-talk so that, you know, if somebody came up and said, well, you're a kitten to me, you know, I wouldn't get mad. I'm not a cat, you know? And if they went, <laughs> no, look at you, you got whiskers. I'm going, no, I don't, you know, and you drink milk out of a bowl or, you know, whatever. It would be so ludicrous. But if they said something like, um, you know, you weigh too much. Okay. Well, I'm really self-conscious when I'm overweight. And so that's my issue. But if I get to a point where I'm going, yeah, well, it's not that, you know, it's just, I'm too short. You know, <laughs> I, if I, I'm just too short for my weight. But if we teach kids, you know, how to laugh, uh, that self-deprecating humor, and I'm not saying it's not hurtful. I'm not saying kids aren't mean because they are, but so are adults, you know, grownups are mean too. The bullying thing is, I don't know, I think it's part of, of human nature, but uh, we do discourage it. We teachers do everything we can to stop that, but if they are kids. It's going to happen. So let's empower our kids to say, well, what are you going to do with that? Mm-hmm. You know, well, they said I was ugly. Well, do you think you're ugly? And, and of course, if they're a young girl, yes, they all think they're ugly. Um, what are you going to do with that? You know, how are you going to react to that? Because bullies feed on the week. And I want my kids to be, you know, strong enough to just, if, if nothing else, to look at them and go, that hurts my feeling, period. You know, just, it is what it is. And then walk away. But, you know, I'm, and I'm not blaming the victims by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I had three brothers, been there, done that, got that t-shirt. But I, I do think peers getting in it does nothing but escalate it. Because I just get and it takes the power it. away from the kids. It doesn't uh, oh, keep totally, them how to. Totally. So the bullies do. If it is a true bully, then they they need to be talked about, talked to, and you know, uh, communicated with on on yep. their end. But 
the other the students who are either being bullied or feeling bullied need to learn how to understand, Internal. accept, and yep. and move move on, move up from it. Uh, and and separate it from their internal way of processing themselves without yes. continually. It's like I have two kids, so of course one is always a tattletale. Well, there's there's two parts of that. Somebody's feelings are hurt, and somebody's doing the feeling hurting, <laughs> mm-hmm. and both of them need to be talked to in two different ways. You know, and need right. to be able to change their behavior and communicate differently. So Deb, we have you know talked for uh for a good hour now and have so much more that we can continue to share what is there one last thing that that you would say to to parents and teachers about going into this next school year with joy optimism and um and getting getting past that fear, I'll, I'll first say that um, you have a lot of resources on on your website and also yes. in your books, uh, and you're continually out there, you know, spreading spreading good messages. But is there anything in particular that you would want to say about going into the 2022 year? <laughs> yeah, I think now more than ever, and this actually came from you, Steph. I think if we can get back to a point where we assume people have the best intentions until proven otherwise, um, it's going to help all of us. Um, And that's the same with our students. Um, Assume the best about our own children and then um, help them learn to do that same thing. Um, And and that's going to, as you said, it's going to come from modeling. I also would have that conversation before school starts. You know, what are you looking forward to? Because, you know, that's the optimistic part. That's the joy part. And um, what is it that would keep you from being joyful? And let's talk about this. What could, what if any could thing could you do about it? And if you can't do anything about it, how can you minimize its impact on your, your life? Y'all are welcome to email me. Uh, Stephanie can tell you I answer all my email. It's just Debbie at DebbieSilver.com. I'll be, do my best to answer anything or if you just need to vent the parent or the teacher or the administrator, I'm here for you and let me know I'm there. Thank you so much, Debbie. I, I am, I'm personally, I'm really excited about this year. I think that there's, there's a lot going on in the world, um, but there's nothing better than having kids playing together. And if we, if we think about it that way, getting everybody yep. together and providing a space of love and joy, knowing that when they're, when there are big groups, conflict is inevitable at times, but right. that's where, you know, teaching how to deal with that conflict in a, in an, um, an understanding empathetic way is, um, is what's helpful in the moment and also into the future because it teaches so many lessons. Absolutely. Thanks, Dale. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. If you liked it, tell your friends, follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn. The mission of MVP business is to dig deep into the lives of true leaders so that others can follow knowing that the path isn't always easy, but the journey is worth it. So enjoy the day and live with passion.